MRP fam, what's going on? This is Hector Santiesteban, and I am your host. And I've spent the last half decade marketing, growing, producing podcasts. And this show is here to help give you all the tools and tactics and resources that you need to go out to create a successful podcast. And we also want to introduce you to some amazing people who can help you to grow your show. And today is no different. We're going to talk with Johnny Podcasts today. He is the host of PodLogic. He produces podcasts like The Fort, Think Like an Owner, and a variety of different shows. And this is one of my favorite podcasts just because of how down to earth Johnny is and also how relatable and accessible the content and the information that he's bringing. Because I can get pretty kind of into the clouds or even into the weeds and it can kind of get maybe esoteric and we can kind of talk about some lofty ideas. But Johnny is really great at keeping things simple and making things really easy to understand. And so I'm excited for you guys to listen. We talk about sound quality. We talk about sound editing. We talk about engineering. We talk about a lot of stuff. And at the end, you're going to hear my interview on Johnny's podcast as well. So make sure you stick around for that. But without further ado, let's get into this interview with Mr. Johnny Podcast. Johnny Podcast, welcome to the show, man. Hector, dude, thank you so much for having me. I think this is our first time officially meeting is on a podcast. We're breaking both of our rules. We didn't do a pre-call. We haven't met before this. Our first time ever. I don't do that. I'm excited though and honored. I was joking beforehand that we are one of the few people that puts podcasts in our handle and we were saying that more people should do it. But I've had people come up to my wife and say, oh, you know, you're Hector podcast wife. And she's like, what? What are you talking about? And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> that's my head. And so I guess it's kind of working. But in that regard, I'm excited to have this conversation because we've never talked about the basics of pie. Well, I'm so complicated. I'm so neurotic that my basics always get so complicated and so advanced. So I'm excited for you to come today to distill down what's important. And I think maybe we can frame of like, people always ask me like, what do I need to know when I'm getting started? What is important? And it can go so many ways, but it seems like you've kind of crystallized that for you. So let's just start there. And when you think about that question, what comes to mind? So the reason I kind of try to like when the way I make my content and the way I market myself is from like a simplicity standpoint is because a lot of the people that I work with are not really tech forward. The reason that they hire someone like me is because I know all of the tech side of it, microphones, cameras, getting online, audio engineering, actually getting the podcast out there and then little things like how should the show flow, little things like that. And so if I had to distill it down to one thing, if you're starting out, the piece of advice that I always give is that you need to have a goal. If you're just kind of starting a podcast just to start one, you're going to fail. And you see a lot of people falling victim of the term we use in our industry called pod fading, where they'll make 10, 15 episodes. I think the statistic is around 17 episodes when people kind of just fall off a cliff and they're not committed, they're done. I think the biggest reason for that is because they don't have a goal when they're starting. Why are you starting a podcast? And if the answer is I want to be famous, I want to be the next caller daddy, I want to be Joe Rogan, then I can't really work with that. It's a fine goal to have, but I like to get something that's actually achievable. And not saying that you can't have a gigantic podcast, but you need to define for yourself what gigantic is or more specifically what success is. What does success for your podcast mean? Does that mean you are shooting for a mini series and you complete six episodes covering one topic really well? Does that mean getting one sponsor? Does that mean getting a thousand downloads? Or is it even, you know, something even more tangible like turning one of your guests into a client for your business or turning one of your customer, one of your listeners into a customer? You're selling some kind of service or product that your podcast is sort of tagged into. So having yeah. a goal, I think, is the most important thing. 
I talked to a guy today. They're five seasons in, and he's probably listening out there. So shout out to you, Seth, and for bringing this up. It's such a dilemma, right? Because I think he did right in the sense that he didn't have a goal. And I'll come back to where he's at now. He didn't have a goal. He didn't have a real expectations, maybe, in terms of what he was wanting. He just wanted to put out good content. He just wanted to make stuff, which I think is so valuable. And I see that so many people who hit it big, a lot of them have that intention. And I think the key is to not be attached to the results, right? Because I think when you have that mentality and you don't have a thousand downloads right away or 10,000, you know, it takes longer than you expected. Well, now your expectations aren't shot. But to your point, now he's five seasons in, and now he's coming to that point where he's trying to turn it into something, right? Now he's trying to turn it into a business. And so I wonder, is there any value to that mindset of, you know what, I just want to create content to create content, or do you need both at the same time? No, I think that's a great point that's often overlooked, is there's a real value in just getting started and building up a catalog. Because part of the thing, too, is to shoot holes in my own point that I just made, if you're starting with the goal of like, hey, I want to sell a product or I want to sell a service, and that's why I'm starting my podcast, you have to build up the trust with your audience first. You have to build up the trust with your audience that you're actually sticking around and that you know what you're talking about. And the best way to do that is to do five seasons of a podcast. Quick back question to you. How do you define a season? What would be the number of episodes in your mind or for Seth in his case? 10 episodes is one season. And why go the season route? Well, I can't answer that question. So we'll have to have Seth come back on and answer that. But with that said, I know there was one time where last year they recorded like 75 episodes. So that's not totally right. Maybe their seasons were maybe 10 to 15 episodes. However, I think the season or the episodic thing is kind of a just a good question, right? A lot of people talk about formats, right? And they talk about interview show or whatever, or solo or how long, but I don't think a big enough topic is how you release them. I've seen a variety of different ways and I'm coming around to a variety of different ways, but what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think that's something that they get hung up on so much. They're like, Johnny, we're starting a podcast together. Do I have to start releasing something every single week or two a week, like just to be able to get into the zeitgeist of the podcast industry? And the answer is no, ultimately. I think the number of podcasts that the average listener has in their rotation that they're consistently listening to is eight. So if you're asking yourself, how do I crack that top eight? Maybe it's taking a different release route. I work with people that release one a month. Some people release one a quarter. You don't even have to create a podcast where you're consistently recording all the time. You can just do a mini series of 10 episodes covering one topic and really deep diving into something and just putting it out there. Boom, you now have a podcast and you're not committing to doing something for the next two, three, four, five years. Yeah. So many people, they think that they do have to release this episodic thing, but I'm coming around to the idea of dropping seasons. And I've seen people do it the right way and I've seen people do it the wrong way. But I do think there is something to dropping a season in the same way that Netflix used to drop a season. There may be some instances where that makes sense. It may not make sense for all the shows, but I think the one size fits all, you have to release an episode once a week or you have to release an episode what you have to do that. I think what you're saying is it's not really the case. You have to ask yourself, is your show bingeable? Is my content right for weekly releases? Right. I think if you're doing you know, hour-long interviews covering a variety of different topics, I don't think a binge release is something that's for you. But if it's sort of like an audio drama or an audio fiction, something that's not necessarily the typical podcast where it's two people talking to each other, then that fits much more the binge model as well. I'm listening to something right now that I'm really excited to be consuming over kind of the Christmas holidays, Jocko Willink's podcast series over the Civil War. I don't know when he dropped those. I'd have to check the dates on them, but it was six parts 
of covering the entirety of the Civil War with a historian, that's definitely something that you would drop all at once so you can binge it like crazy. That's not something I want to wait week by week by week. But taking it a little away from podcasting, it's interesting seeing places like Netflix and Amazon and the streaming services move away from the binge model because all of the marketing that surrounds these giant events, they're sinking so much more. Like take the Rings of Power, for instance. They sank a billion dollars into a project like that. You can't release that all at once because it gets all of this hype at the beginning and while it's released and then people finish it and then it's done versus sort of the OG Game of Thrones releasing week by week. You build up that hype every single episode. What's going to happen in this 45 minute segment? You can really pull so much more marketing effort out of each episode. So again, it really all depends on is your content bingeable or not. But you're right. There is no one size fits all approach to releasing these things. Yeah, that's a great point. I think there is a lot of parallels to kind of streaming. There's this weird thing where they're kind of going towards an ad supported model, right? What else do you think that podcasters might be able to take away from an industry like streaming, or even we can expand that to, you know, other industries like TV or radio? Is there other things that podcasters can look to learn from those places? I think that there's things that they can learn not to do. We've seen that all the streaming services are losing money because they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on movies that are going straight to Netflix. And if it doesn't get consumed, Netflix loses all that money. There's no real way to capture or recoup the money that they invested into a project like that. I think that's something that makes podcasting stand out is that it's all based on the personality of the host. Say you and I had a podcast together. People are really interested in hearing our personalities. They really, quote unquote, fall in love with listening to us every single week, not necessarily a network of a bunch of different stuff where they have to scroll and choose from. And so all this is leading to is something that podcasting can do that the streaming services can't really do is the paywall garden. So we can really have our most avid fans pay five bucks a month just for our content. And they're so much more willing to do that. I know personally for me, I spend way more money on like Patreons and private podcast feeds rather than paying for something like Amazon because I know I'm getting the content that I want every single week and it's always coming out rather than being like, oh, I got to wait you know, a year and a half for the next season of Reacher to come out on Amazon. That's a great point that podcasting has is that relationship is actually really valuable for people in the sense that people are willing to pay $5 for one type of content from person on Patreon or Apple Plus or whatever, these ad support, you know, ad free content, when they complain about Netflix at being at $15 or whatever it is. And there's nothing to watch on there. Right. And so it's really personality driven. What are other things that you think about when it comes to the basics of podcasting? We talked about kind of formatting a little bit. Is there any other kind of major categories or major boxes that you look to check when someone is starting a show? Yeah. So my bread and butter is really the production value. So my sort of what I bring to the table in terms of the podcasting industry is the audio engineering side of things. My whole goal, the thing that drives me, the thing that gets me out of bed every single morning is making a great sounding podcast. So the number one thing I always hit on when I work with people is like, you need to have this microphone. We'll I'll work with you on your budget. We'll figure out how much you can drop on this. But what I'm using right now is the most basic package that I can offer people. And it's about less than 200 bucks for everything that I'm using right now. This microphone is like six. This is actually my father-in-law's setup right now. I got him set up with stuff so he could do stuff over Zoom. He doesn't have a podcast, but this microphone is 60 bucks. These headphones are like 
150 bucks, but you can get more base model for like 70 bucks. So you can really have a great sounding podcast for less than 200 bucks. And that is the thing that I hit on the most. You have to have great sounding audio. If you want anybody to take you seriously, if, because there's so many options out there, there are so many high production podcasts. I'm not saying you have to have three cameras looking at you, multi-cam setup, six sure SM7B microphones and a full-time producer in the back. You can have essentially the exact same sound as those people if you have a competent audio engineer on your side and you have even the most rudimentary setup. What goes into that setup? You mentioned $200. I would love for you to drop some brands or products or whatever you might be able to recommend. Definitely. So this microphone that I'm using right now is the Samson Q2U. It's a USB microphone. So I've got a USB cable coming right out of this mic and it's going directly into my MacBook. I'm just using the standard MacBook camera. I actually just released a video on my YouTube channel about the continuity camera. So you can start using this iPhone camera as a wireless webcam. It's given me a ton of issues lately though. It connects like maybe 10% of the time. So hopefully that they figure that out. But Samson Q2U microphone, you can plug headphones directly into it so I can actually hear myself talking. And these headphones are Audio-Technica MTX or ATH-MX50, whatever it's called. But if you just look up Audio-Technica headphones, find the $50 pair. Those are going to be great over-the-ear headphones. And the reason you want these over-the-ear headphones, similar to what you're using, Hector, is it blocks out a lot of the sound that we're using right now. And you need to have headphones. One, if I'm doing a remote podcast, I need to be able to hear you. And if it's coming out of the speaker of my laptop, sometimes, not every time, but this is something you want to avoid is the audio will come out of this laptop here and it'll get picked up by my microphone when you're talking. And so that audio now loops over itself. And that's just, I don't know if we can curse on this podcast, but it's an S show for everybody involved. And if you can just accomplish even the most, those two items right there, you can have a good sounding podcast. And that's the absolute basics that you need. Keep going. I don't know that we've ever covered the basics of here. So what else do you think about? Is it mic technique, room? What are some of these other kind of key essentials to having good sound? You know, I used to be a huge stickler on the room itself. And then I found out that, you know, if you have good microphone technique, it doesn't necessarily matter what room you're in. There's really only a couple of basics you want to cover in terms of the room that you're in. Okay. So the room that I'm in right now, I'm on the top floor of the house by myself. There's nobody else around. So I'm not worried about people running up and down the halls. My wife's downstairs working. I'm not bothering her. I don't hear her taking calls. That's super distracting. I've got my phone on silent on do not disturb. And then in terms of the room, there's only one window in this room. So in terms of street noise, sirens going by, I'm avoiding a lot of that. I used to be kind of a hard hitter on like, you need to have padding up against the wall. You need to have those foam panels glued to the walls and the ceilings and things like that. Those things are nice to have. They're not total necessities. You can really get by by just having as small of a room as possible, not near a lot of noise and just have your phone off. And that's going to give you a great sounding podcast because technology has just come so far in the last 10 years that you really don't need a ton to have a good sounding audio. Yeah, 10 years is a big, for sure. I recorded my first podcast and thankfully Apple took the feed down. There's some problem with that. And I was like, yeah, the sound is so terrible. I was using a blue Yeti and in an untreated room. And Dude, that's how we all started. I started with the Blue Yeti as well, man. You just start and then you figure it out. And it works because I started out, and the listeners know this, but I'll tell you, I started out doing lives and I had a YouTube channel. And for live video, it was fine. I mean, nobody could tell the difference, but all of a sudden I listened to it on podcasts on a feed with headphones. And I was like, Jesus, I was picking up the freeway down the road. And it's echoey and it just is like, it's just crap, you know? 
Yeah. So I like the Rode pod mic. Yeah, I've got a couple of those. Those are a great option as well if you're looking for something like that. The one issue I have with that is for you as a podcaster, it's great. But for someone, the person that I work with is like an executive, someone working in an office. And that's an XLR only mic. And so they were like, wait, now I got to buy more equipment. I got to buy like a Scarlett Focusrite or I got to buy a Wave XLR to plug this into this and then this into this. So I really try to point them towards like this microphone or the Shure MV7, which is any kind of USB slash XLR option is going to be great for them. But yeah, the Rode Pod mic for those listening, if you're looking for a solid setup where you're going to be recording into an actual recorder for a hundred bucks, you're going to get a really, really crisp, clean sound from the Pod mic, as you can clearly hear from Hector. There's two options, I think, that you talked about. I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit on how you think about XLR and USB. And we're kind of throwing out names here. Can you give us maybe for the layman and how you would explain it to your clients, like what those are and maybe when some situations when they might use either? Yeah, absolutely. So let's say I was starting a podcast with a client that one of the first questions I'd ask them is I would say, hey, this is 90% chance this is going to be an interview based podcast. They're going to be interviewing other people. So the first question I ask is, do you see these interviews being in person or do you see them being over the computer or do you see a combination of both? Let's say they say a combination of both, but it's going to be heavily relying on remote interviews, but I'd like to have the option to do them in person. So if we're going to be doing remote interviews, then a USB microphone is what you want. Ideally, a microphone that has both options. So if you look in the bottom of this microphone I'm using here, this big empty slot that has nothing plugged into it, that's the XLR version. The USB just allows you to plug your microphone directly into your computer, and that makes life a lot easier in terms of recording. However, now we switch over, we go, okay, I really want to do in-person recordings. You don't really want to record a USB microphone into a laptop with somebody else who's also using a USB microphone into their laptop. That would be the best way to get it accomplished. But you want to have an actual physical recorder, something like the Zoom H6 or the Rodecaster, or what I use is the Zoom LiveTrack L8, an actual physical recorder. And that's where your XLR microphone comes into. Basically, it's the same thing. It's just another plugin that goes from your microphone into that physical recorder. And the great thing about those physical recorders is you can have more than one microphone going into the box recording on a multi-track. So I'm recording my audio on one separate line. I'm recording my guest's audio on another separate line. And so when I'm not talking, I can mute out my audio and it cuts down on the echo. If I'm licking my lips, if I take a sip of water, or if I cough or sneeze, I can get all that muted out. You can't necessarily without some kind of real tech finagling, record a bunch of different microphones into USB into your computer. It's a big headache. It's not something I really care to walk people through when I'm working with them. So that would be like the most basic difference is USB goes into computer. It works best for remote interviews. XLR goes into a physical recorder. works best for in-person interviews. Yeah, that's a great breakdown. My brain is spinning because I think the fundamentals can always go back. And I think it's also a problem because a lot of people, they start a podcast almost in a haste sometimes where let me just get my episode art done. Let me buy a microphone. It's almost this minimum viable product, which is great because you can get started. But then too many people carry that MVP into they're on episode 50 and they haven't thought to get a new mic or they're on episode 75 and they still have the same cover art that they had before. This is just, I think, important for podcasters at any stage. I'd like to ask you about audio editing. It's actually my kryptonite, if you will, because I'm the complete opposite. I came into this as a marketer, as a capitalist, as a content creator, and kind of backed into trying to figure out audio editing. And I've got a minimum amount of skill there, enough to break things. There are obviously people who, if they want you to go make their stuff sound good, 
go check out Johnny on Twitter and Johnny Podcast and hit him up. But for someone who's like, what should I be doing? What are the levers and knobs that I should be looking for when it comes to, you know, if I'm going to hop into Adobe Audition or I'm going to hop into Studio One or whatever and do this for myself, what are some things that they should know or do when it comes to that? So I'll just break it down to like, you're talking minimal viable product. So let's talk minimal viable production. So still an MVP. If you're using a Mac, I would just crank open GarageBand. You want to record directly into there. Or if you're recording remotely, use a remote recording software like Riverside or Zoom or something like that. Then once you've got all your audio into your DAW, so that's going to be your digital audio workspace or your digital audio workstation. There's no real definitive term or the name for it. It doesn't matter though. So you want to drop your audio somewhere to edit it though. So we'll talk editing first and then I'll finish it off with a little bit of engineering. So in terms of editing, basically what you want to use is the cut tool. So it's basically going to be a double click over your audio file and that's going to split that audio file. You're going to be able to watch as you listen when you're editing. You're going to see your vocal the audio is going to show up as an actual waveform. It's going to be like a little block. It's going to be something physical that you can see. And find somewhere where you hear the word just isolated. My name is Johnny. You'll click around it and you'll try and isolate that and you can delete it. So that's very basic editing. Now, the next step beyond that, and all of this takes practice, I would encourage you to go on YouTube. I'm sure there's tons of courses online that are very cheap. Don't spend $500 on an audio editing course. Find something on Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y.com. Find just basic audio editing for whatever DAW you're using, whether that is, what's the free one that people use? Audacity or Logic Pro X is what I use. People use Adobe Audition. Or again, GarageBand is a great free option. But the next step beyond actually removing those ums is hiding it. Editing something without hiding that edit actually makes it worse because you can hear the physical cut because all of that background noise is going to cut off and it's going to be dead silence and then it's going to come back in. And that's even more jarring than hearing the word 50,000 times in an episode. So what you want to learn how to do is fade in and fade out, lowering the audio as the wave file ends and there's dead space there and then bringing the audio back up. And again, this all just takes practice, practice, practice. But if you do it for five or six hours, you edit five or six of your own podcast episodes, you'll get the hang of it. So that's some super basic stuff on editing. And again, it doesn't have to be limited to just ums. These are bathroom breaks, baby crying in the background, anything. All of that stuff can be edited out and it just condenses your podcast down to something that's really succinct, really punchy. Because again, our attention spans are like goldfish. We have five seconds before we get distracted by a TikTok that your wife sent you and you go off to listen to that and you don't come back to that podcast. So you need to keep that person engaged. But what does someone like you think about tools like Descript or I think Adobe just launched their Adobe podcast, I think what do they call it. How do you look at something like that? I'm all for it. I've used the Descript thing. The problem with Descript is it doesn't catch everything. And the problem with Descript, like specifically with removing crutch words, like, you know, like, so things like that, it doesn't catch everything. And they don't have any way of hiding that edits. They're still really chunky cuts that you're going to notice. It's so choppy. It's just sentence, 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 dead air, sentence, 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 dead air. And sometimes it'll cut out words that aren't the words that you want cut out. So I'm all for using those tools. I'm not saying you have to go become this professional audio engineer like I am. You just work smarter, not harder. Find what works best for you, whether that's an AI tool, whether that's outsourcing it to someone on Upwork, or whether it's learning how to do it yourself. But I'll finish on the engineering thing if you do want to learn these things. There's two plugins that you need. And plugins are 
on the left-hand side of your DAW, you can drop in ways to modulate your audio, whether that's making it louder or making it quieter or changing the way that you sound or dulling your S's and P's. Those are all in the weeds kinds of things. There's only two things that you need. One of them is a limiter. A limiter stops your audio from peaking and going over minus three decibels or 0.0 decibels, whatever you want it at. Peaking is when your audio is way too freaking loud and it blows out the person's eardrums. You'll hear in the really professional podcasts that the audio, if you really pay attention, the audio does not go above a certain level. Even if the person is screaming, even if the person is laughing, even if the person is getting really, really loud, it does not hurt your ears. And the reason for that is a limiter. Most DAWs have free limiters. GarageBand will have a free limiter on there. So just find a limiter, figure out how to play with it. YouTube the exact plugin that you have on your DAW, and there will be someone who's made a video about it on how to use it. The other one is called Vocal Ride. I can't remember if I bought it because I've had it for so long, but essentially Vocal Ride will automatically keep move the levels of your podcast. So if you and I are having a conversation and I'm really close to my microphone and you're really far away from your microphone, you don't want to have the listener keep cranking the audio up when you're talking and cranking the audio down when I am. Vocal Rider does that for you and it keeps all of the audio on the same level regardless of how it was recorded beforehand. So again, those two plugins that you want to look at are called a limiter and the other one is called the Vocal Rider. You make a great point about how the listener is experiencing the sound. It's infuriating because I remember listening to one podcast. It was the podcast of a radio station and they were all at different levels and it was so impossible to listen because I was doing exactly that. I was turning it up, I was turning it down, I was turning it up, I was turning it down. And it was from a radio station. So I was like, Jesus Christ, guys, like, I don't know. So those types of things though are so important that if you don't have those things in your show, you're going to turn away your listeners, right? Even if you have great content, if they can't actually experience it in a way that's convenient, then they're going to go listen to something else. Yeah, it has to be a comfortable listening experience for them. Because again, there's literally so many options out there and you have 15 or 20 seconds when someone gives your show a chance. And if the first thing they're doing is, oh my God, they're gone and they're never coming back. So Again, this is not stuff that's incredibly difficult. It gets more difficult the more nuanced you get into it. But this is also something that's very easy to outsource or very easy to learn just the absolute basics. And if you're recording in the same environment every single week on the same microphone in the same setting all the time, you can save your plugin settings to be exactly what they were when your podcast was sounded perfect. And so it's not something you have to go do each and every time you record an episode. But again, having that baseline of a microphone technique and just some solid post-production, even minimal post-production effort, you're putting yourself miles ahead. Well, maybe five years ago, you're putting yourself miles ahead. But now this is all boilerplate stuff. This is just stuff you have to have to even get people to consider listening to you. Yeah. The listenership is growing, which is great. And people always ask me, why did I decide to get into podcasting? And it's because I really believe that it's something that's not going away. Audio content or however they define it. I don't know. I love Tom Webster, but he uses some weird word that, to like include audio books and whatever. But Is it audiology or something? I don't know what it is. I have to look it up. But anyways, it's not going away. You know, people are going to be listening to content and how they're listening, whether it's they're watching it or listening to it on YouTube or Spotify or wherever they're finding it, they're going to find it somewhere. And so it's going to be around. But with more and more people finding it, more and more young people especially, their expectations of what they're going to listen to 
is also gone up, just like that's happened on YouTube. And that's happened with all the different platforms where as there's more popularity, the responsibility or the expectation for creators has also gone with it. No, I totally agree. You're right. The statistics speak for themselves. The podcast listenership is going up every single year. Every single day, more and more people are figuring out what a podcast is. And there's literally something for everybody. The most niche of content is out there in podcast form. And it's so accessible. It's so easy to start one and it's so easy to find them. I think the YouTube aspect of it is really interesting because I think the next generation that's coming up is consuming the most of their podcasts on YouTube. And I think the new number is like 40% of podcast consumption is done on YouTube. And that begs the question, do you need a video for your podcast? The answer is no. You can do an audio-only podcast extremely easily. All you need is your cover art, drop it into a basic video editing software, or even websites do it for free, like Headliner does. I don't know if they do it for free, but Headliner does it. Veed.io, V-E-E-D.io does that for you. And you can just put it on YouTube. And you don't necessarily need to want to build your audience on YouTube. But now, again, this is just more table stakes. You have to be on YouTube. I think that's a great perspective that you don't need to do video, but you probably should be on YouTube. I love that they put out like an 80-page document of like super unhelpful stuff <laughs> oh my god dude did you go to podcast movement i was at the one in la i didn't go to the most recent one i think in what was it so dallas is in my backyard i live in fort worth and so i went to okay. the dallas one and i went to the, me and a couple of my buddies went to the youtube podcast seminar we're like oh this is great they're gonna dive into right. like what podcasters can expect out of youtube and they just literally were flirt being like oh well this is some channel that really grew on youtube and these are all the videos we make and i was like this is complete bullshit and it was just total nonsense but yeah, I think that's a great point that you make that you don't need to do video, but you probably should be on YouTube. And so many people get caught up in like, oh, video, it's so much extra work and stuff. If that's going to be the case, do it for your listeners because to not allow them, right? There's just people who watch and listen to stuff on YouTube. And so now to say that that person has to go find you somewhere else, I think it's just not giving your listeners the respect that they maybe deserve. No, I agree. And I think YouTube premium is like one of the best things I've ever paid for. You can put on a YouTube video and you can go out, you can leave the app. The video is not like the right. biggest component of it anymore. It's simply the access to the content on the platform. Yeah. This has been a fantastic interview. We got started a little late, but we're going to definitely have to bring you back for volume two for sure. Is there anything else you think someone should be thinking about when it comes to, you know, I like this idea of the MVP, right? Like a minimum viable thing, because I think people blow it up to be bigger than it needs to be. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you think might be relevant for that? No, I just want to highlight what you said earlier about managing expectations. I think that was a really key point that I would like to have dived into a little bit deeper. So I'll hammer on that for just a second is to see success in your podcast. One is defining what success is for yourself. And that sounds super corny, but it's super true. Don't set yourself like if you decide I need 15,000 downloads in the first month and you don't get it, don't let that stop you from keeping doing your podcast. The best advice that I ever got was from Matt Cundell from Sound Off Media. His words of wisdom are, it takes three laps around the track to see real growth in your podcast or real traction or real people coming to, if you're gonna get sponsors, you're gonna see it at that third lap around the track. One lap is one year. So. Keep that in mind. You got to keep doing this for a long time to see the results that all these other people are doing. Joe Rogan started his podcast in 2009. You don't get the Spotify deal overnight. It just doesn't happen. And if you go listen or watch his first episode, it's dog shit. It's dog shit. 
I don't even think he has a mic. I think he's just talking into his computer. And there's like some episodes he's got fake digital snow going on in the background and they're hawking like sex toys as their sponsors. It's just chaos. Yeah, it's a great point. You know, just don't be bogged down by your own expectations. It's okay to change course. It's okay to change your goals for your show, but it should be something that you actually care about. You should actually want to do a podcast. The people that get into it for the money because they think it's a quick cash grab, those people go down in flames night and day. But if this is something that you're really interested in, just keep going. So weird that somehow that got into the zeitgeist that podcast was like a get rich quick kind of thing. I know. Like they just thought like, oh, I can talk into a microphone. I can make money doing this. And it's like, well, actually you can't, you know, (laughs) you got to have some serious personality to make a living doing something like this. Yeah. Johnny, thanks for coming on, man. Go follow Johnny on Twitter. That's where we got connected. Johnny Podcast. Is that the handle too? I know you can search that and that's kind of the name. At Johnny Podcasts. At Johnny Podcasts. Go do it. And I appreciate you guys as always being a part of the MYP fam. There's a certain type of people that can get through an episode like this talking in the weeds about podcasting. But if you've made it this far, you are one of us and we appreciate you. We'll see you guys next time. Later, y'all. And we're back. Second interview since the launch or the relaunch of Pod Logic. Uh, the first one went super well with Tyler O'Shea talking about SEO. And today we are with Hector Santi Esteban, host of the show, Marketing Your Podcast. Hector, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, dude. I'm uh, I'm excited. We just we're like, I don't know. We just spent an episode. We just did an episode recording on my show. And now we're here. I feel like I don't know. We should have a ribbon or a star or or a badge or something. I don't know. This should be a, a cool accomplishment. Well, we lucked out by doing your podcast first because we got warmed up. So now we're like in the flow of doing things for my podcast. So uh, definitely go check out Marketing Your Podcast. I think it's a great show. And Hector, the reason I wanted to bring him on was he really hits on something that's not really my area of expertise. When I work with people or the content uh, that I put out is more about like getting started, getting your podcast up and running. Here's what microphone you should use. Here's the camera that you should use. Here's ways to like uh, talk to your guests before you actually interview them. Things like that, sort of like in the weeds things. But you talk a lot about marketing and growth and something when I was cruising your Twitter, because that's how we got connected. You mentioned that relationships are more important than downloads when it determines when it comes to determining the success of your podcast. What do you mean by that? I have one host. We started the show back in May and I don't know, I think we just passed the 3000 download mark. So, you know, we're not breaking any records. We're not, we're not topping any charts, but over those, we're now about 50 episodes in over those 50 episodes, we've had, uh, you know, billionaires, world-renowned authors, Olympic medalists, um, you know, people that would otherwise be, think that those guests would not go on a show that quote-unquote small. And so that's the first part. And the second part is that in addition to that, this host is also, in addition to kind of leveraging it into some great guests, has also turned it into some incredible business opportunities for himself. And so if he would have come in Focusing on the fact that, you know, each episode gets downloaded, I don't know, 30, 40, whatever, I guess, you know, a hundred times maybe over the course of its, of its lifetime. It's not that exciting. 
And so I think that we talked about on my show that managing expectations is so important, but I, I find that the, especially early on, and, and I would imagine that even, even as the show grows, that those relationships that people can build either with your guests or with your listeners early on are way more valuable than seeing that download number go from 50 to 100 to 200 to, to, to whatever, right? If there's, if there's no real relationships behind those numbers, it's kind of an empty, it's kind of an empty metric, especially in podcasting where you don't see the comments, you don't really see the likes. There's no, there's no face to, to your community necessarily from the podcast app. There are a kind of other ways to do that. But unless you're out seeking and building and creating those relationships, um, they're not going to, they're not going to be apparent to you. Dude, that's a freaking awesome way to put it. I think uh, if you had to put it into one sentence, and this is something that I use a lot, is it's quality over quantity. Whether that is the types of guests that you're having on or the number of listeners that you have, the quality of, and I, and I equate it more to like your audience, the quality of your audience is way more important than the quantity of your audience. And that kind of ties into something that I wanted to talk about next, which is monetization. So if you look at just from a pure numbers standpoint, and these are going to be extreme cases, not everyone gets to monetize their podcast. It's just the fact of life. If you are selling a $25,000 course or you have Dollar Shave Club breaking down your door wanting to sell you for a $10 CPM, the money difference between those two is, is vast. And I would much rather be in the camp of, I have 150 people downloading my podcast and that two of them buy my $25,000 course versus having 2,000 listeners an episode and only getting like 50 bucks from hawking Dollar Shave Club products to them. And monetization is something that you talk about a lot on podcast or on Twitter specifically. I don't know how much you go with it into your podcast, but for my audience, which is people that are early into their podcasting career or want to just learn more about it, in terms of monetization, it's not for everybody. It's not going to happen for everybody. But from your experience, is there any low-hanging fruit, maybe like one or two things that the average podcaster can do to either monetize or even just inch them closer to monetization? Yeah, I'd say if you have your own business, I, I'd imagine that a lot of people that listen to the show or that you work with have their own business or they're starting the podcast as a, as a part of their business. I think that that is the the best way, right? That it, I, I put it out. On, it seemed to go do pretty well on Twitter. It seemed to people people seem to re resonate with it. But that's that. If your product is your podcast, it, it's going to be really hard to monetize that. But if your podcast is your marketing or is part of your marketing, or or it can even be leveraged as part of the sales process, the follow-up process. It can be used to warm up leads. It can be used to close clients. Like It can really be leveraged in a lot of different ways. But if you're using the podcast to sell something else, you have a lot more leverage. It can be a lot more valuable. Whereas if in the Dollar Shape Club example, if your podcast is the product and that's actually what you're selling, well, you're actually selling your audience to Dollar Shape Club. And in that regard, that's the the, that's where you're getting the, the least form of value, in my opinion, both for, for you in terms of the dollars that you're making. And also that's the lowest form of value for your listeners because, you know, well, not, not all cases, there are some great products and there's some great sponsors out there, but, but, you know, I'm of the mind that you can really leverage that relationship to provide a lot more value than selling, you know, pills or 
whatever you know razors no i i think that's i think that's a great point and that's that's such a like that line is just sticking in my head of if your podcast is your product and not your marketing or make your podcast your marketing not your product i think that's such something that just kind of goes over people's heads they start the podcast going I'm going to sell this show and I'm going to be this huge famous for it. And then it's like, no, it's so it's such an easier path to quote unquote success of using the podcast as a vehicle to indirectly drive money into your bank account. And that can be done through a dozen different ways. And you went through a few of them. And I, I think that's awesome. Awesome insight. I know that you're really focused on the marketing side and that's really your bread and butter, but I want to push a little bit on something that may not be nearly, maybe it may not be necessarily your area of expertise. So you, uh, you told me beforehand that you're sort of expanding into the whole scope of podcast production, maybe not necessarily just marketing. So give me just some high level thoughts on the importance of production value when it comes to show growth. Well, I think, you know, from our standpoint, we we tend to focus on, we definitely want to make sure that the podcast is sounding well, right? Like that's, you know, there's a, there's a minimum threshold, obviously. I don't know that we are as advanced as, as maybe someone, you know, who's had your level of experience, but, but that is one bucket. But the other bucket that we look at are things like, um, you know, content editing. And, and you've, you've touched on a little bit on like, you know, the way that uh, shows flow, right? And removing not only uh, filler words or crutch words, but also, you know, organizing interviews in a way that makes sense and removing, you know, rambling and all, all those kinds of things that make a more concise, you know, easier, accessible, um, you know, podcast. And so those are some of the other things when, it, when we think about production value, you know, that we're incorporating into that. Uh, the other side of it that I think is a little bit missed is some of the the small, the small levers that done consistently well can really help with growth. And these are things like um, show notes, right? We've seen consistently that when we take over a show, one of the, the biggest thing, well, for sure, the, the audio's quality goes up. But one of the biggest and the most drastic changes that we make is that we start doing pretty comprehensive show notes, um, or some, you know, just just well done show notes. And we can talk about what that means if you like. But we just see this small uptick as soon as we take over every single time. And it's just this small bit of growth. And, and the only thing that we can really attribute that to is, is some, you know, is some SEO, right? Because it's not like the, there's any spikes from guest sharing or there's no real spikes. It's just, we start to see this slow, you know, uh, slow growth. And, and so that's kind of what we've backhand, you know, attributed to. And so those are the kind of the buckets when I think about, um, well, there's obviously some parts to you know, having a good interview and, you know, maybe the, the video aspect is a big part of it too. But, but when it comes to production value, those are kind of the three main categories that we look at. I love that. Dive deeper into show notes. So what in your mind... So we've seen what... Because show notes are something that are huge that I dive into all the time. So this is purely for... Not only for the audience, but this is for my own you know, uh, curiosity as well, is we've seen the standard shit show notes, which are my name is host X and today I interviewed this person and I copy and pasted their bio from their work website. You get handed those show notes. What is like, what do the Hector Santi Esteban post magic show notes look like? (laughs) Hopefully they are like that, but we, we think about them in two ways, right? The first is, is they need to be readable. So that way when someone's not, everybody is going to read your show notes, not, not everybody, but 
some people are, and especially new listeners, especially people who they're searching for something, they found your show, and it's a big commitment. It's a, it's a much bigger commitment to listen to a podcast than it is to watch a YouTube channel, video. Because when, when they're watching a YouTube video, oftentimes they're keeping the app open. Most people, or they have it up on their screen, and, and a new video is just one click away. When someone starts a podcast, they put their phone away, they start driving, they go on their jog, they go, they start doing whatever it is their activity. So the switching cost of, 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 of content, right, from episode to episode or video to video, and even the way that the players are formatted right now makes it really difficult. So that, so that person who is, who is looking for something new, you want to give them as many, you know, from your from your episode art to your your you know your show title. But then the the last layer that someone is going to kind of do to vet you is is to read your show notes. And so we want to make that as helpful as possible for them to. You don't need to write a whole blog. You don't you don't need the whole transcript. I wouldn't encourage that. But we want to have. Um, uh, what we do is we have a, a a summary, right? Like you know, close thing would be like a. I liken it to like those fifth grade book reports that you would have to write. They were like one paragraph, summarize the book into five sentences. And it was like, you know, that's, that's kind of how we look at that initial paragraph. And ideally you want to fill that. And the second, so that's the first part is attracting, you know, new listeners and making it helpful to understand. But the second thing is we want to do is we want to fill up that with as many keywords and search terms that someone may be looking for, because not every platform weights the show notes as high as others for for search but but it's definitely some of them do and so you don't you know you know there are ways to do this wrong where it's just you know just dropping a bunch of keywords in there but you want to make sure that you're including the topics that are in there so that if someone is searching for that stuff that those are included in the paragraph um or or throughout it right so the second part is under the paragraph we have a, a as detailed as possible list of the um the we I've learned recently that not including timestamps um, on the show notes has actually increased listen through um, performance. But we do we do have a, and that's something we're changing like as of like last week. But we would we always have a bulleted list of as many of the topics that we cover, and we do it for YouTube as well because YouTube uses those as chapters, and so we put those timestamps into the YouTube description. But as far as the the podcast, we're just listing you know as many different topics, you know, usually seven to ten different topics that they cover, um, along with all the links and resources and things like that. So. So that's kind of the basis I can talk. Well, let me, th- let me actually add one more thing. So the links and resources is helpful. I think one other thing that a lot of people miss and especially businesses is the, is what are called backlinks, you know, and, and when you put Google is looking for uh, when they're looking to rank your, your website, they're looking to see how, how many other people are talking about you. And what's really cool about podcasting is podcasting gets distributed to, you know, 16, 15 different, 16 different platforms along with those show notes. So if you can put your website into the show notes, you can actually get your, your website link posted onto those diff- 15 different websites. And that's going to tell Google that that website is a little bit more valuable. And so when you do that for every episode, now you can collectively start to build your own website uh, rank as well. And so we try and uh, include as many of those relevant links. Not all of them are going to, you know, juice what's called juicing your domain. But but that's kind of a, I don't want to call it a ninja tactic, but something that I think also helps over the long term as well. I love that. With the show notes, I'm in, or with the time codes, I'm intrigued. Did you find that 
people like it increased the consumption rate because people didn't have the ability anymore to jump to only the sections they wanted to listen to interesting okay that is that's a new way of approaching it because i'm huge on the time codes thing because i i go for it because i want people to only listen to the parts that i listen to like for example do you know uh do you know the ringer podcast network i'm not familiar with it so bill simmons oh oh, yeah yeah oh yeah i know bill simmons i didn't know that was his name of his podcast network but yes so do you know ryan russillo his buddy yes so the ryan russillo podcast I'm not a big football guy, love basketball. So if they're doing a basketball topic, I'll listen to that one. But the one topic I listen to on every single episode is their life advice section. And it's time coded out. And I always jump to the life advice section because it's so entertaining. And I think this is not, I do not have firsthand knowledge on this, but from when I started listening about a year ago to now, they didn't have sponsors for each segment. Now, I think they're seeing in their data that the that the life advice section is getting so much traction over the rest of the episode in terms of consumption that they're getting two, three, four sponsors for that segment specifically. So he'll, it used to just be like, welcome to life advice with Ryan Rosillo. Here's our email to send it in. Now it's here's welcome to life advice presented by Modelo. They'll answer one question and then he'll go life advice is brought to you by Snickers, blah, 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 blah. And so I think that's just kind of an interesting little wrinkle. So it's, I'd be curious to follow up in a little bit how that change on your end is affecting things because clearly, I mean, more consumption is good. You want people to consume more of the podcast. So it's an interesting approach to it. Well, what you bring up is that, you know, you're, I think you're playing with, with perhaps two hopefully mutually exclusive kind of, you know, data points, which is downloads, right? Almost discoverability and listener finish rate, which is what, what specifically, um, Tracy Hazard, who is the founder of Podetize, and she has, um, you know, she has her own hosting platform. So they're really able to see a lot of that data. And that's what, you know, how, what it did to their number of downloads, I would be curious to see that because that's not something she emphasized. What she was emphasizing was the listen through rate, which at least right now to, to, to kind of for the, for the listeners is like, I don't know that that is as valuable as it is on YouTube. On YouTube, they're really looking for that, you know, that, that pe- people to watch through the whole video on Apple. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe they're, maybe they're, you know, looking at that follow through rate, but um, that would be something to consider too. Yeah, I totally agree. It is, it is definitely an interesting discussion that that is worthy of, uh, you know, more time dedicated to it. I'm going to wrap it up on one question. Hector, marketing your podcast, you are now put in a position where you can only choose one marketing tactic going forward to promote podcasts. One is word of mouth marketing and two is paid media advertising which one are you choosing and why word of mouth uh it's uh, it's cheaper it's more sustainable and it's more authentic um I, you know before you gave those options i was going to go with guesting or podcast you know utilizing guests and and kind of leveraging other podcast hosts and and kind of going on other shows because i think that that's the best one right and so if you can leverage word of mouth uh, people who are already uh, you know, if someone can put you on or recommend you, then I think that that's going to be the most powerful thing. Hector, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find you online? Plug your podcast. Give them the whole shebang. Yeah, thanks for letting me ramble for probably way longer than most of these episodes are. Um, Twitter at Hector underscore podcast. 
Uh, if you guys are on LinkedIn, you guys can search me, Hector Santia Esteban, and then the, the show is Marketing Your Podcast. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider following the show, subscribe on YouTube, and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.